right, thank you. Good morning, everyone. And our, our, uh, this is, you know, we're going to end today's service like we have each service. The last couple of weeks, it's Lent. And we're going to have some prayer teams up here. We're going to anoint with oil uh, for Lent because we serve a living God who's active and alive. And so we're not just going to hear the word. We're going to have a chance to actually respond to it and let God do some work in us. So our title today is, if I don't do this work of repentance, I will die. Say it again. If I don't do this work of repentance, I will die. Now, many of you are familiar with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. It was founded in 1935 by Bill Wilson and Dr. Robert Smith. And this is the big book, as it's called. This is, you know, the AA book. And, and, and the, main a, the main goal of uh, Alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous is to help people find a power greater than themselves, uh, to help solve this problem of the inability to stay sober. But you can't get started until you recognize you're powerless and I can't, I can't handle this. And unless you say I can't handle this, AA can't help you. And uh, I went to my first meetings of AA in Central America many years ago. And I remember going to these meetings and being like overwhelmed by how great they were. Uh, they were raw. There was no religiousness, no pretension. It was just brokenness. And I remember saying to myself, this is better than church. And I said, some of these guys preach better than us too, you know. And, and I know many of you have been blessed by, uh, you know, AA. And, uh, and as you know, there's, there's not just AA. There's, there's, there's uh, gamblers AA. There's sex addicts AA. There's narcotics AA, et cetera, overeaters AA. And, uh, and many of you have been blessed. And, and we've been blessed. And I think New Life Fellowship's had a very nice relationship with many groups around Queens and, and New York City for years. And I, like, and I think the reason is because AA is based on it. It's got a, it's got a Christian base to it and its, and its foundation and its theology is very biblical. Um, but it, it comes out of what Scott Peck calls it, it, it. It's understood that everyone's got a human hole that longs for God inside of them. And uh, we're all separated from God. And so we, we, we have this emptiness, this hole that we look to fill with other things. And again, it, 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 we don't know what that thing is missing, but we want, we're longing for something. And so some people fill it with nonstop work, others with alcohol or drugs or sex or shopping, something that, that hits the spot. But it's this longing, this deep spiritual hunger in us uh, that we have. And, and I like what Gerald May, another you know, well-known psychologist, used to write about, a lot about addiction and saying that addiction is like an attachment. And he used to compare it to all the war writings on attachment through the centuries of how um, we all have attachments and, it doesn't, and we all have addictions. We're just addicted to different things. We're all slaves to sin. And we, we cannot, any of us can get well or get whole without coming to the place that's the very starting point of any AA meeting, which is I am powerless. I can't do this. I am helpless. Now, we, I have a friend uh, who's you know, been in AA for many years. And I asked them, how do you know who to help, who to sponsor? Because everyone's got to get a sponsor as you go into AA. And, uh, you know, they're very well equipped and aren't bound decades doing it. And I said, how do you know who to work with it? And they said this to me. He says, Pete, uh, I asked three questions and there's only one answer that I want. If I don't get this answer, I don't work with them. The question is, why do you want to do this work of AA? Why, why do you want to do this work, these 12 steps? Why do you want to do this work now? And why do you want to do it with me? And if their answer doesn't come back like this, this what I'm going to share with you right now, he says, I do not bother working with them. And here's the answer. If I don't do this work, 
I will die. If I don't do this work, I will die. And I'll tell you, those words just rung in my head, you know. First she tested me, you know. I was like, okay, you know. But I got it. If I don't do this work, I'll die. Now this is Lent, and, and Lent's about turning to God in repentance. And really, it, 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 there's no better teacher than John the Baptist. And basically his message is this. If you don't do the work, and if I don't do the work of repentance, we will die. That's his message. If we don't do this work of repentance and understand what it is as a lifestyle, we will all die. Now, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of all the prophets up to his time. And here's what he said. Jesus said, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. This guy was amazing. And as we'll see just just in a minute. But remember, his message was, if you don't do this work of repentance, you will die. So, um, because what it does, repentance gets us in a position where, one, we can receive pardon and forgiveness for our sins. But secondly, it gets us in a position to receive power from heaven, the Holy Spirit, to fill us and transform us to become the men and women God has called us to be. There is no other way. But repentance, got to come first. And it's the lifestyle. So let's read this text, and it's a great passage. And I'm going to read the whole thing in its entirety because of its richness, and then I'll take it apart. But I want you to try to imagine yourself in the desert, it says wilderness, or the desert of Judea. The wilderness is a desert in uh, ancient Israel. And uh, here's what the Lord says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, let's just say, who is this guy, John the Baptist? Now, if we did his genogram, his family of origin, his father was named Zechariah, a highly respected priest. And we find him, in, we meet him in Luke chapter 1. A, a prestigious family. He was one of the top priests in the country. He, you know, he, he performed in the temple, so highly educated, very, very respectable and well-known and honored. He was a Levite. John the, John the Baptist is his oldest son. So it was expected that the eldest son is going to kind of follow the footsteps of the father and have this, you know, very respectable career. You know, like his dad and, you know, go to the best schools and get all the training and all that, wear the right clothes. And, but like John the Baptist becomes like a hippie without a job. Ends up living in the desert. I mean, he doesn't follow the tradition of the temple. 
He doesn't follow his father's footsteps. He does not become a priest. He goes a whole other route. And here he emerges now as a grown man. And he's, he's rough. He's crude. He's fundamentalist. He's fanatical. I mean, he's not the guy we want in our church. And we definitely don't want him in our small group. He doesn't care about food. He's not shopping at Macy's. Look at him. He's wearing camel's hair and leather belt around his waist. I mean, and look at the food he's eating. He's not even going to Whole Foods or locusts. And why? I mean, he's just, he's like a wild man. And he emerges, he starts a church in the desert. He breaks every rule in the book. And, and so I, I don't know, like, if I look at him and I would say, I don't want to listen to him. Like, I'm offended by him. What school did you go to? Like, like where'd you come from? You don't, you don't even speak proper grammar. And I'd be, I'd be hard to hear God from him. There's a great saying, God often offends our minds to reveal our hearts. And I wonder how many people were just so turned off to John the Baptist. I don't want to hear it. And who are the people? He said, I don't want to hear that person. I'm turned off to them. You know, for some of you, it might be these guys, you know, monks, you know, weird. And these, are, these, are, these, are, these are hermits that live in Mount Athos, south of Greece on an island. It's a hermit community and monastic community. I mean, look at this. You want to hear from these guys? I mean, look at the dress of these folks, all right? He said, ah, I don't think so, you know. Uh, here, here's, the, here's the Syrian church in, uh, in Syria, very different than ours, all right? And these are the ones that ISIS came to wipe out as they move through these villages. Uh, you know, I don't know. Here's the Russian Orthodox Church. They're like, I don't know. Look at these guys' dress, the outfits, the icons. Maybe some of you are offended by that. So I can't hear much from them either. You know, then we got our American mega church. Looks like Madison. Looks like a stadium. And I remember, I remember a, uh, uh, a, a scholar from Cambridge University I met once. And, and she was trying to understand. She was an Anglican and a church historian, and she was trying to understand American Christianity. She goes, I, I really don't understand where Jesus is, she's saying to me. She goes, you've got shopping mall churches, you've got, I don't see any cross. I, they run like, the, people get an MBA from the university. They, they declare themselves a pastor. They use marketing principles, and they start a church. She couldn't understand, like, she was trying to get her handle on, like, where's Jesus and all this, you know. And I said, no, I said, Jesus is there. It's just hard to find sometimes, you know. And, uh, and, 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 but we get the crowds, you know. And here's the African church. You know, they're dancing in the middle of the church. Some of you might, I don't dance in church. I'm lucky I showed up, let alone dance, you know. And maybe you're offended by that. And then, we, then you got the, you know, we got the smoke machine churches, you know. We got smoke and we got the lights, you know. And, you know, and maybe you're offended by that, you know, and you don't want to hear it there either, you know. And, 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 and sometimes, you know, you got tattoo churches. You know, the tattoos and the, the nose rings and all that. You know, some of you are offended by her, you know, and, and she's reaching out for Christ. And maybe that's, I don't want to hear from her either. You know, so she gets rid of those tattoos in Jesus' name, right? I don't know. <laughs> offended by her. And then some of you get offended by our elk. <laughs> How could God be in an elk lodge? All right. I, you know. But... The point is that there's a great, I mean, this is not my sermon topic, but I, I couldn't resist it because we want to be, it's very important that we're open to learn from people who are very different from us. 
And that's why we like to say occasionally the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed that we say we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And what that means is we believe in the universal church around the world. And uh, we recognize we're not the whole church. We're a piece of it. And God comes in many, many, many strange ways to us. And we want to be humble and open. Because we recognize that God does sometimes offend us on purpose. To say that we're not in charge of this thing. He is. But let's talk for a few minutes about John the Baptist and his message. Because he's an amazing guy. He sets up this church in, his des- in the desert. You understand, nobody's there. And he starts preaching. And his message is, a, a ki- the kingdom of God has come near. A great visit from God is coming. And it's going to be like a cosmic nuclear explosion that's going to come. And uh, it's going to be a world-changing event. Uh, and, and, and it's a new world that's coming. And so he's, he's a voice. He's not, in fact, the word here, for he's saying repent. The word there is he's howling loudly. It's like he's speaking to deaf people. It's like he's yelling. I mean, this is, this is, he, he is so like urgently proclaiming this that, that something is about to happen and you need to get ready. You need to, he's word, he's using, you need to repent. And he doesn't care what people think of him. You understand? When we're, if you've ever spoken in front of a group at work or, or somewhere where you're speaking and you've got really important people in, in the audience, maybe they're your family, maybe it's rich people, maybe it's highly educated people, maybe it's a celebrity, maybe it's somebody with a lot of power, and you're up there, I don't know if you've this experience, and what happens is you're so self-conscious that you kind of like, the whole time you're speaking, you're really not speaking to them, you're speaking to yourself because you're concerned about how you're coming off. You know, you're so self-conscious. John the Baptist, and I've been in those situations, John the Baptist is not speaking in front of them. He speaks to them. He's not intimidated. He doesn't care about anybody's social class, wealth, celebrity status, or power. It's irrelevant to him. He speaks to them and preaches to them the same message he's preaching to everybody else. He's a free man. And, uh, and so he begins to preach, uh, you know, repent for the kingdom of God's here. And then people start, conf- they understand they're coming from all over Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of Jordan. If you saw a map, it's like, our, and Josephus, who was a church historian at that time, or not a church historian, he was not a Christian, but he was a historian. He talks about this great revival that broke out when John the Baptist started. People came hundreds of miles from all over to hear this prophet speak. And they came from all around, and people started confessing their sins. Now, this, 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 it, it, they started admitting their, their brokenness, and I need pardon. They're saying, I need extraordinary help. Uh, and, and, and this, this idea, they get, they get baptized. They, they go down under the water, kind of a drowning to my sin, a dying, a cleansing, and coming up. Tremendous act of humiliation. So, so here's his main message. His main message is repent. Now, the main thing he's saying to people is you need to change your whole life direction. Uh, now, most of us are, are like the people there in the audience. We like to run our own lives. We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. We'll, we'll, we'll be glad to take God's counsel into consideration but basically we run our own lives and uh, God's kind of here on the sidelines and John said you know you don't get it uh, we're talking about repentance here now listen there, there's secular repentance and then there's biblical repentance now, let me explain secular repentance that basically means just change your mind um, so for example I was wrong about him he's really a nice guy I changed my mind I repent I just changed my mind he's a nice guy or you know when I was in college uh, being a communist was very popular. So I was, I was half a communist. 
And I remember I was in Europe as an exchange student. And uh, at the time, the Berlin Wall was up. And I went to Berlin to see the Berlin Wall. I'll never forget it. I, got, I climbed the stairs and got to the top. And I looked out over the border. And there's a, these East German guards there in no man's land. And, and I remember looking in disbelief at, this is communism, you know? And the guy kind of put a gun up towards me, you know, kind of joking around the, the, the guard. I hope he was joking. The guard on the other side. And I remember my friend, we just jumped down that stairway, you know? And I remember saying, I have changed my mind. I have repented. I am no longer a communist. Okay? It's over. I am a capitalist, you know? And, but I just changed my mind. Uh, that's not biblical repentance. Okay? Biblical repentance is different. It's to change your whole life direction. It's very different. And uh, so, so you now understand, like, until now, the only, the people who got baptized in Jewish life for the previous couple thousand years, baptism was used for Gentile pagans, dogs, who were, who, who were polluted and contaminated by the world and paganism. To become a believer in God, you had to come to the Jews and get baptized. You'd come up out of that water, wash clean, and then you'd become what's known as a, you know, a God-fearer. You're, you're, we now accept you in the community. You're still sitting in the back, but you're in. But, you, but it was humiliating to have to get through a baptism. But that was for Gentiles, not Jews. Now, for the first time, John the Baptist comes along and says, hey, I got news for you. Everybody's got to get baptized. The, the whole world, is, it's not just for the uh, outsiders. And so to offer baptism, to demand baptism from God's people who are Bible believers was outrageous. It was humiliating. And but what he's doing, he says, God's uniting the whole world the pagan world with the people of God, and everybody needs a drowning and a cleansing from sin. So, so then what happens is, so it's changed your whole life direction. And then Pharisees and Sadducees come to where he was baptized. You understand? So now understand the Pharisees and Sadducees. These guys are, they are the, the PhDs. These are the, these are the leaders of the church, uh, we would say. They, they, are, they pray five times a day. They, they memorize the Old Testament, first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, they memorize five books of the Old Testament. Look at your Bible. Most of us can barely memorize a verse, all right? They fast twice a week. We barely fast through a snack at, after lunch, all right? And half of that is to lose weight. They're meticulous about the law. They're giving, you know, giving. The problem is that they're condescending. They're cold. They're unkind. Uh, they're, they lack compassion, and, 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 and John's message is, he says to these Pharisees and Sadducees, the major problem is not the Roman Empire. The major problem is not the oppression and the military and the ruthlessness and the paganism of the Greco-Roman Empire we're living in. It's not the Colosseum. It's not the culture. It's not the economic oppression that we're under that we're all poor. It's not the social world. The major number one problem confronting us, he says, is you. <gasps> you, you're the number one enemy. Don't look everywhere else. It's you. And he calls them, you brood of vipers. I mean, basically, as I say in the top there, he's saying, you pack of snakes. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not a friendly greeting, okay? You pack of snakes. And, uh, you know, we think often that the problems out there, the world's got so many problems, right? We could sit here and just list the problems. I mean, we got problems with with 
you know, the culture is a mess and the entertainment industry, the internet's impact on our lives and our children. I think we can go through the educational system and all the brokenness there. Let's talk about just our political system. Oh my goodness, that's just our country, let alone other countries in the world. And how about the World Bank and the United Nations and the International Monetary Fund? And then we got pedophiles and rapists and thieves and swindlers and white collar crime. We got pornographic billion dollar industry. We got drugs. We got all these bad people out there. And I mean, all these problems. And we say, yeah. And, and, and John the Baptist walks in and says, no, you don't get it, church. He's talking to Bible believers, people who go to church like us. He says, the problem is not out there. It's us. It's here. He goes, it's not there. It's here. And they're like, whoa. I mean, the shock of it. And again, he's, he attacks their pride. He attacks their false sense of security. And he especially goes after leaders. I know, it's, it's a really hard message to preach. It's like really frightening. He goes after the church leaders. Because you are the problem here, you know. And so, you know, if I could put it in, in our vernacular. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit. He goes, don't say to yourselves, we can have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. It's like, like, you, like guys, guys, God, can, God can, can raise up evangelical believers from rocks. You think you're, because what they're basically saying is they got Jesus. You can have Jesus in your bones, but not in your heart. Amen. Do you understand? Like, they're familiar. Like, we, we can, because we, I'm a Christian. Maybe your family was Christian. Maybe you became Christian as a young adult. And you kind of, you know, you like this Christian way of life. It helps you. It's good. You know, my family goes to church. I go to church. I like the rhythm. Every Sunday I show up and I got this, you know, I've got this kind of rhythm and certain songs. When the, when the team sings them, it just melts me, you know. I, I just feel it in my heart, you know. And sometimes I cry. My hands go up. And, and it's, it's all familiar. And you serve and you give. But, but there's not a personal relationship in the heart. And what John's going after is that it's possible to have Jesus in your bones. And you kind of got the religious external piece but you've lost the heart piece. That's a hard message to hear. As one scholar says, this is probably the most, I'll go to quote here. He says, this is probably the most penetrating, uh, incisive cut through hypocrisy and self-righteousness in the history of spiritual literature. Because he just cuts right through it to them. And uh, I like the way Martin Luther put it in 1517. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he wanted the whole life of a believer to be a life of repentance. Repentance is a Christian's continual posture. In other words, our lives are one of of constantly reorienting ourselves to Jesus, turning around and saying, okay, Lord, here here I am. We don't just do it once. It's actually how we live all the time. Let Let me give you an example. The reality is all the time, I mean, all through the day, it's our, it's our posture of turning around and not going our way, the way we think it should go, but his way. Last Thursday, uh, Jerry and I were here at the church, and we, we were going to a meeting in Manhattan. And the meeting started at 6 o'clock. It was a 6.3-mile journey on our GPS. Okay? It was meeting on 37th Street on the east side. So we left at 10 to 5. We're thinking, that's plenty of time. Six, six miles. 6.3 miles, no problem. And uh, so we start, and we're in traffic pretty quick, quickly. And the GPS takes us not the Long Island Expressway through the Midtown Tunnel. It takes us kind of all these side roads. 
Long Island City, and we're in massive traffic, okay? We're at traffic lights. You know the feeling. You're, and, and you're in gridlock, even in Long Island City where the light's turning green, but the other cars are gridlocking you so nobody's moving. You know, it happened, you know, two, three times, two, three times. You know, so time's ticking. All of a sudden, we're going to get there not at, not at 520. Now it's 540. We crawl through the Midtown Tunnel. We're in Manhattan. We're just crawling. And, and then we get through the Midtown Tunnel, and then it's a massive traffic jam. I mean, like, it's a gridlock on every block. And you know how it's, if you put your, on your, like, Google Maps or Waze, it's all red. And we're like, oh, God. And so we basically, we're at a light, we're on 34th, and now Jerry, wisely or unwisely, booked a parking garage a block further away from the place, big deal, because it's cheaper, you know, you do it in advance. But now we, we'll, we have to go like another three blocks straight, but we've been now 15 minutes in the same spot on 34th. We have not moved. It's been 15 minutes. We've got three more blocks to go. There's red all over, and now it's already 6 o'clock, 6.05, 6.10, Okay, and we look at each other and said, we got to get out of here. We, may be, we could still be there now, all right, if we didn't leave, all right? We just, we're like, we got to get out of Manhattan. So we somehow escape through Manhattan, get out, crawl home. We get home, I think it was 10 minutes after 7. We left at 10 minutes to 5. We haven't gone anywhere, okay? We, it, so, so my Christianity went out the window, pretty much. I mean, I tried to hold it together. Now, normally, I'd be so angry, I would multiple times bang the, you know, the, the steering wheel. This time, I just banged it once or twice. <laughs> but I didn't let it externally affect me. I decided to take in all the rage internally. So I got depressed and exhausted. And I'll never forget, when we got home, we just shook our head. I mean, I was so upset. The, the actually, the, the guy who was speaking was available to watch a live stream, but I was so angry, I didn't even want to even see the guy. I didn't care about the event anymore. I still haven't watched it. But I, I remember saying a couple of times, I hate New York. You know, those moments. But I, I just tell a little story because at that time, I wandered away from the love of God. I had a clenched fist. I, I was wandering from his will. I wasn't even interested in his will because if this was his will, I was against it. And I, I wandered from his voice because if this is what he was saying, I don't want to hear it. And uh, so it's easy to say I go to church, I pastor, I preach sermons, easy, I read the Bible a lot, but the truth is live a life that has no repentance in it. It's so easy to have a divided life. And uh, you know, many of you may have heard of something called the seven deadly sins. This has been around since a guy named Evagrius talked about it uh, in the 4th century. Uh, but uh, it's a good way of doing an inventory of your soul. And I've been, I've been actually you know, pondering these for the last you know, month or so, and two months actually, in Lent. And it's a way of naming sin. And, uh, and so here's seven. And basically, the point of the seven deadly sins, the reason they've been so popular over the centuries is because out of each one of these springs little ones. They kind of generate, it's kind of like the root, then you got all these, these kind of branches and and, and twigs that come out of it. You know, things like pride, unwillingness to learn, and, and envy, being not content or not thankful, or, or anger, desire to control, or sloth, not having any, any initiative you know, in life, laziness, greed, not trusting God's provision, or gluttony, excessive consumption of good things, not just food, anything. You know, or, or, or lust, wanting to possess another person. And, and it's just a way of just, oh my gosh, like taking a, taking a deep look 
you know, in the inside and a great way of just repenting of how have I wandered from God because, and the same person from AA uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, has also said, there's also a fourth question and that is, uh, let me get the question right here. Because our capacity of self-deception is so enormous, they ask, do you know, do you, before they take them on as a person they're going to sponsor, do you know when you're lying to yourself and to others? And they said, I, I, uh, this is the answer I want from them, to know they're ready to actually do this kind of hard work. And they, they, they need to say, no, I don't, because if I did, I wouldn't be here. If I knew when I was lying to myself, I wouldn't need to be here and do this kind of a work. That's why we so much need a community. We need each other because we're so easily self-deceived. We kid ourselves. The Pharisees and Sadducees kids themselves. Everything's good. You know, I've been working through the Sermon on the Mount in my own devotional time. And it's this great section where Jesus says, you've heard it was said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who nurses anger in their hearts and says to his brother or sister, idiot, stupid, fool, is liable to the fires of hell. And I said, oh my gosh, I do that all the time. Idiot. Cut me off. You know? I mean, Jesus, Jesus has a whole other standard for, again, my life is one of repentance. My whole life is turning to him. It's not just something I did once to become a Christian. It's my life is repenting and positioning myself before him for forgiveness and for power to live a life that I can't live in and of myself. You know, the, the, the opening words of Jesus in the New Testament after, you know, repent is, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the opening words. And he's basically saying this. He's picking up on John the Baptist. That word for poor, this is Matthew 5, 3, is it's the strongest word for poverty that existed in the Greek language at that time. And it's, it's, this person is the poorest of the poor. He goes, blessed are you who are completely dependent on other people. You are at the bottom of the bottom. Psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, you can't live without God's help. You can't live without God's intervention, supernatural intervention. You'll die without it. He goes, if you're that poor, and really it's a, it's a, it's a posture of repentance, he says, you are blessed. You will inherit the whole earth is yours. The kingdom of God is yours. The earth is yours. Satisfaction is yours. It all belongs to you. It's called humility. I wonder... Did those, lead, those religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, did they receive John's baptism? Like, did they say, okay, here I am. I'm going to go, I'm going to, we're going to humble ourselves with everybody else, like the regular people. I doubt it. A couple of them did come around like Nicodemus, but the large majority of them were too proud. So we're talking here about humility, everybody. Now, again, I mean, that, that's, this is the stance of, of a Christian. That's why for me, when I, I, you know, we talk a lot about daily offices here. And the Emotional Healthy Discipleship courses, one of our most important things we do for you as a church is we want to ground you in your relationship with Jesus and having a dimension of silence and solitude and stillness in your life. For me, my, my lifeline is two, three, four times a day, I'll stop. And if I do nothing else, I sit and I got my hands... And I go like this, posture. Why? Because many times, before I, I can blink and before I know it, I'm like this. My, 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 my fists are clenched and it symbolizes my whole attitude. And so I go like this before the Lord, be still before the Lord. I'm like, okay, Lord, I surrender my will to your will. That's a hard thing to say when you're going 100 miles an hour like a train. 
Okay, Lord, I, I surrender to your love because there's no love on earth that even compares to you. And Lord, I surrender my voice because I want to hear your voice. I'm open, Lord. But it's a posture of basically repenting multiple times a day to kind of keep me honest because I don't know about you, but I, I get the Pharisees, like how easy it is to have Jesus in your bones and just become kind of a religious person going through the motions, but it's not really of the gut, of the heart. And I like the way you know, Tim Keller expresses it in terms of the gospel where he writes this, Christians are those who adopted a whole new system of approach to God. They've come to see that Christianity is not fundamentally an invitation to get more religious. God doesn't need religious people. Amen. To get the gospel is to turn from self-justification and rely on Jesus' record for a relationship with God. The non-religious don't repent at all, and the religious only repent of sins. But Christians also repent of their righteousness. What that means is we don't depend on even the fact that I read the Bible today, God, you owe me one. God, I prayed today, I came to the altar, you owe me one. No, I come like that, like that beggar we just saw, I got nothing in my hands. And I come to you, Lord, and I, I come, I get the gospel. It's Jesus' record that I come in his name. I come through the blood of Jesus who died for me. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. And I come only in his name, through the cross of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. He's the record I hold on to. So I come with nothing in my hands but Jesus. That's the heart of my life. So we, we all are on same, we're all on the same playing field. We have nothing to hold on to, whether you've been here, this is your first day here at New Life, or you've been here 30 years. It doesn't matter. We're all in the same place. Equal footing. And I love the way George Woodfield put it. Ed, you know, Rich mentioned this last week in his sermon. But George Woodfield was a preacher in the seven, late 1700s. And here's what he said in one of his sermons. I don't know what you think, but I can say that I cannot pray, but I sin. I cannot preach to you or to any others, but I sin. I, I can do nothing without sin. My repentance wants to be repented of and my tears to be washed in the precious blood of my dear Savior. What he's saying is that do you understand? I can't even rely on my repentance. God, you owe me one. Even, even I'm crying at the altar. I don't know if it's 100% pure. I'm not God. Even that, I can't rely on that. I can't rely on anything. Oh, I preached a sermon, God. I'm a super Christian. He goes, I can't rely on that either. And he says this. My, everything needs to be washed in the precious blood of my dear Savior. Our best duties, oops, sorry. Our best duties are as so many splendid sins. You must not only repent of your sin, but also of your righteousness, your pride, your sense of, I could do this thing. There must be a deep conviction before you can brought, yet until you can be brought out of your self-righteousness, basically your pride that you can do this thing. It humbles us. And that's why it's such a, it's such a leveling moment for all of us in this room because we come in Jesus' name. See, John the Baptist recognized his ministry was, was great, and it was great, but it was not as great as what was coming. He could not remove sin, and he could not impart the Holy Spirit's power either. So here's what he says in verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. That's a, that's a start. We're talking about a start of repentance. Our whole life is orienting ourselves of repentance to God. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I. That's Jesus. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Everybody, this is a great gift. When we turn to Jesus, we come humble, we come broken, we come with nothing in our hands. Two things happen. I can receive forgiveness, 
pardon, friends, that's the miracle of miracles. We could be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. But there's something second that's so incredible and important. He will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That, I'm talking about a, 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 a washing. And this is, picture a mighty river is going to wash over you and through you and live inside of you and change you. We're not talking about a sprinkle. We're talking about a river, a mighty river, a Niagara Falls coming through your person and changing you. If you'll humble yourself and do this life of repentance, he will do something transformative and powerful in you to become the man, the woman he's called you to be and to live the life he's called you to live. In fact, this is the only pathway, but it starts with this incredible brokenness. It's dramatic. It's explosive. It's unstoppable. This is not, you don't live the Christian life by your self-effort, by your exertion, by your striving. We live it in this posture. Broken, humble, poor, sort of poor on the bottom. That's why we can relate to everybody out there. No matter what they've done, we say, I understand. I'm a murderer too, absolutely. I'm an adulterer too. Yes, 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 I got it. I understand. And we, we, we come like everybody else. And we come that poor, open. That's repenting. We're constantly all, each day, through the day, seeking to turn, orient my life around this direction. And then we let him then come and do his work. We position ourselves where Jesus in forgiveness and the Holy Spirit in power can do a work in us that only he can do. So I can't live the Christian life in my own power. Do you understand? I, I cannot, you cannot either. We're all helpless the commands of the scripture are impossible to live apart from this. But there's a, there's a supernatural power that God makes available to us. Amen. And the 12 disciples, if they show us anything, that God takes ordinary people and he actually changes the world. Yes. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, he says. People who are broken like this. The last people you'd ever expect are the ones he says are going to change the whole world. So with that, I want to invite the, wor- the prayer teams to come forward and the worship team. And... Um, God has, I want you to hear this, everybody, because I'm inviting you to repentance, not just for now, but as a lifestyle. God has a great future for you. He's got a great purpose for your life, regardless of what your age is here in this room, regardless of what you've done. Disciples are the most important, significant people on the earth. But this is the way we live. Humble, broken, and in that posture, God meets us. So what we're going to do is we've got... So, so I want to invite you really to take the posture of, if I don't do this work of repentance, I will die. That's the invitation today. For you to say, if I don't do this work of repentance, it's really hard. But if I don't do this kind of hard work of repentance, I will die. And you will. But if you'll do it, you'll live a resurrected life like you've never dreamed. So we've got oil up here. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to come forward for prayer. We've got people up there at the top balcony as well, up where Peter is, and some others will join him. And we want it. Why don't you all stand with me right now? And we're going to invite you to come forward for prayer. Now, just, just to understand, just even coming forward is an act of I need I'm not self-sufficient uh, I'm repenting I'm turning so, so that alone is an act of humility so we want to invite you to come for wherever you need healing 
and a touch of God in your life. Maybe, as many said to me the last two services, I think I got Jesus in my bones, but I'm really not sure he's active in my heart. And we want to pray for you because the Holy Spirit's going to meet you in that moment. And, and, and oil is symbolic in Scripture of the Holy Spirit and His power. That's why we're going to anoint you with oil. And we want you to be in a posture of just receiving when you come. All right? And worship you. We're going to kind of fill this room with worship and invite the presence of God to fill it. And it's just such an important time for us to, to meet God, all of us, in this room. So let me pray and let's commit our time to the Lord. And so, Father, we ask you to come visit us now. As, Lord, you're moving in this room and each of us in a different way. And you're, you're, you're calling certain people. You're speaking directly to them, Lord. I, I pray for ears to hear and eyes to see. Melt hearts, Lord. And I pray that in our prayer times up here in the balcony, may you, may you visit with a nuclear explosion in some of our lives. Free us. Break chains, Lord. That the destiny you've got for each person in this room, Lord, may we fulfill it. And so we bless you and commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's begin. Come, and the balcony's up, and we'll worship the rest of us in the meantime. All right. So we're going we're to stay here and pray for people and finish. I want to close our service. And uh, so don't go anywhere, those of you online for prayer. Um, but we've got the Lord's table to your left, and you're welcome to come and eat a drink of communion uh, here as we close. But I want to invite all of you to kind of open, open your hands up towards heaven to receive a blessing as we close. And um, God brought you here today because he loves you. So receive right now his blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you as you leave this place. And may the river of the Holy Spirit come running through your body now. Come and flush through your mind and your heart and your spirit. And may it break chains off you that you might be carrying. And may you walk out of here humbled, broken, but filled with God. And may the blessing of Jesus that rests upon you in your brokenness, may the kingdom come to you. May the earth be blessed. May you be salt and light to all those you touch. And may the spirit of God by his supernatural power take you places that God has destined for you since the foundations of the earth. So be blessed as you leave this place as the good hand of God is on you. And everybody said in the name of Jesus, Amen. God bless everybody. Thank you. So we'll stay here and pray uh, for people uh, as long as we need to. Thank you.